One of my favorite sayings is always be clear about your purpose or others will use you for theirs. And what that means is that there are a lot of people who they don't know what they're looking for and they will use you to find out. And those are not... That's a very uh, powerful statement, actually. Today's guest has 25 years of high-level management and business development experience. Her book, The Smart Connector, reached the top 10 in the entrepreneurship and small business category. She's a podcaster, cancer survivor, and a single parent who has triumphed over adversity and loves to inspire others through her consultancy business, The Smart Connector. Episode 53, Jane Baylor. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in, so bring on the inspiration. Well, thanks for joining us, Jane. You're very welcome. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Fiona. That's okay. It's been a little bit of a back and forth, but I'm glad that we finally connected. I'm excited to to have the chat because you've got a You've got a very interesting story. You've got an established business now, which you focus on. Um, well, you wrote a book, The Smart Connectors, and then yeah. you have a training um, is it a training module, like training workshop. How would you yeah, describe tra- it? Well, it's a training program called Ideal Client Success. So it's a 90-day accelerator, and it's all about connection. It's all about connecting with your ideal clients in in the right way so that they step up to choose you first. How did you start on this coaching training journey? Would you describe yourself as a coach or a trainer? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I really think of myself as more of a consultant. So mm. um, I really consult with, with businesses and business owners to help them achieve business growth and help them get the life that they really want because I think the two go hand in hand. Your business exists to serve your life. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes entrepreneurs can get very out of whack in terms of their personal lives and their business goals and so on. And so, uh, you know, it's not really just about a lifestyle business, but I think that business growth and personal growth need to go hand in hand. Otherwise, it's not good. So that's really my, my, my mantra for business growth and business success is that, you know, take care of your life as well as your business. What size businesses do you target for the course, for the 90-day acceleration course? Yeah. So I, I, I work mostly with uh, solopreneurs that they're sub 100K UK pounds, but they're kind of on their way and they're ambitious. They tend to want to grow to uh, six figures and then multiple six figures, ideally. So those are the people that I serve in the accelerator program. And as I said, there are a range of coaches, consultants, and small business owners, often working by themselves with a small outsourced team. So typically, those might be the people that come into my accelerator program. But the one thing that marks them out is that they're ambitious and they want to grow. Um, so because it's really all about growth. And then with the consulting, then I tend to work with people who, you know, they've just reached a different stage in their business. Um, sometimes they might still work alone because I work with quite a lot of course creators. So for example, I've got somebody at the moment who's really at the top of the tree commercially, um, but he wants to monetize his wisdom and experience. So he would definitely be somebody that he would not want to go through a course. He would not want to learn the skills himself. What he'd rather do is just have it all outsourced, done for you, and, well, effectively for me to act as a consultant to help him launch his, his, uh, you know, his course, his product, uh, get his message out to the world. So it's really, really both done with you, if you like, and done for you. Why have you targeted the entrepreneurs sub 100K? Because that's usually usually people that are coaches and um, they want people that are well on their journey. I think for for a multitude of reasons, one of which they make sure that they can pay the <laughs> pay the bill. But yeah. why have you focused so much on that under a hundred? Because it, it is unusual. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's people who, who are well on their way. So they're just early stage. So, you know, they've already got a revenue stream. So as I said, typically, they might be like, in the UK, this is UK pounds, obviously, yeah. which is different to, you know, US or Australian dollars. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, typically, they, they will already be be uh, bringing in revenues of maybe five to five to 8k a month, typically, which still puts them in the top so I think it's like 3% of UK earners. So, I mean, people forget that a lot of people never even get to that level. But um, as I said, mostly I, I would not work for people who they they don't have another business or another source of income. So quite often um, they, they already have an up and running business or they have capital and they have a, a track record of business success. And that's why they're attracted to me. It's just they're launching a new product. So they've just got going with a new product. Sometimes they haven't even monetized their new product, but they have mm. um, a track record of business success. They understand what it takes to grow and scale, but they haven't necessarily monetized their own wisdom and experience. So that's the first time for them. So I, I think for people who are, you know, coaches who are sort of struggling coaches, my program is not for them. It wouldn't resonate with them. Um, and unless, as I said, they, they already have a track record of business growth and they understand and they have the confidence to go forward because I think confidence has a lot to do with it because mm. if if people have not uh they haven't scaled a business before then a lot of the time they are just too scared they're too scared and they just don't believe that they they're capable of it so I think what happens is they come up against internal resistance I'm interested, and I just want to clarify something. Before, when I spoke to you, you mentioned that your focus was on service providers, but you've just mentioned that they're launching products. So, yeah. are you are they service providers or products? Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I I help entrepreneurs who either have a, a new product or or service to launch that is related to their their core business often. Right. So for example, uh, I have a, a client who's a tech guy and he actually has a training business in health and safety that he was a corporate trainer and he was going up and down the motorway and delivering all these training workshops on health and safety. Then when the pandemic happened, because he was a tech guy, he was very easily able to transition online and then his revenues actually soared and he was serving a lot more people while sitting at home and working less hours and so the penny dropped and he was like okay I'm going to help other people do this as well so he launched um, a fully hosted um, course uh, platform for corporate trainers to enable them to transition online without having to learn all the tech and uh, set up all the payment systems and do all that hard work. It was just a very easy transition. So he's a typical client for me. And another client, um, for example, is a, he's actually a consultant. He's an econometrics consultant, which is something that is a little bit of a mouthful to, to get out. But he's a very smart guy. He's a university lecturer. He's an MBA lecturer. And he's a successful consultant. Um, but he wanted to um, launch an, another revenue stream that was based more around his passion and his wisdom. So these these two guys were launching new products. So he launched a prosperity professor program that brought together his uh, background in finance and economics. So his hard data-driven background with his interest in NLP and mindset. Um, so So that's typically to uh, clients who have a new product that they want to launch, but they have existing revenues from a different source. It's just they want to bring on a different revenue right. stream. Um, and then sometimes uh, I have a, another a client, for example, who's actually an ADHD coach. And he um, he was a hotel developer. So, you know, again, he has the confidence that comes from having scaled a business and been successful in business. So that enables him to, you know, just believe that it's possible uh, and that, uh, you know, also set the set the bar high in terms of his ambitions. And he's doing really, really well. He set up some Google ads and he's almost fully booked already. 
Um, so they tend to, you know, quite often it's just a, a push, giving them a push. It's an accelerator program that basically gets them, you know, gives them that boost that they need in the beginning. Um, I, I hope that makes sense. It does. It, you, it almost sounds like you've got somebody that's a, an expert in their profession, either yeah. as an employee or as a as a yeah. business owner, and then they almost want to yeah. set up that side hustle if they're an employee, and then you help launch that idea. Yeah, yeah. So I have another client, for example, who's uh, an engineer. Um, he's mm-hmm. actually an automotive engineer, and he's very passionate about mindset. He's he's overcome some challenges in his his life, and he's been informally uh, mentoring quite a lot of people in his organization. And so he wants to uh, launch a, a program for automotive professionals like him. So um, he is, yeah, he's fully in corporate life. So I think the thing that they all have in common is they have um, some wisdom and experience that they want to share. So Mm. they're experts, but they're not necessarily expert marketers. And I think that's why they come to me, because obviously that's my background and my history. I, I hope that makes sense, Fiona. It does. You said to me that you're extremely passionate about, um, and this is before we hit the record button, um, about connecting people and networking. Where does that passion come from? So the passion for connecting is because I grew up in a family where connection wasn't prioritised. In fact, it was completely the opposite because in my family, uh, there was addiction, there was dysfunction, there was mental illness, and all of those factors, um, they are very isolating. And so what happens is people end up running their lives in parallel. They don't really communicate, they don't connect, they don't support, they don't lift each other higher. And that was the, those were the role models that I had, and that was the, the worldview, let's just say. And, you know, it took a series of events in my life to actually realize that, no, this is, this is not right. This, in fact, this worldview, it has created some crises in my life. Some really, really bad things have happened as a result of it. And I, I had to go through those really dark times and actually, if you like, hit rock bottom before I realized this is where, this is where it all went wrong. And since I made that decision to prioritize connection, and I mean in a really, really deep level, in other words, you know, I just have, have kind of zero tolerance for the wrong people for me, um, you know, in a very non-judgmental way, but I just don't let those people into my life or I don't progress relationships with them. I set the, the bar very high in terms of the quality of my relationships. And really, my life has just gone from strength to strength, both business in business and personally. So I, I know, I know at a very, very deep level that this is that this is something that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm. But it, it, for me, it's the key to life. I love it connection perfect were you saying that you you dug yourself out of that rock bottom what did rock bottom look for you like like for you yeah yeah well i'd i'd had a bit of a roller coaster ride in business because as i said i went out into the world really without the best foundation like a lot of people a lot of people don't have a great start in life and they're kind of left alone at an early age to try and figure things out for themselves so you know, I felt as though that happened to me really very, very young, you know, from about the age of 11 or 12, I really felt very, very alone. Um, so so that's just the way it was. Um, and so what that means is that you end up making all sorts of mistakes because, you know, you're just basically a clueless kid, you know, at that age. And, and you continue to be pretty clueless, really, I think, through the first part of your life if you don't have the right guidance or or role models. So that was me. So, um, so, you know, I kind of lurched around and because I was, um, you know, I suppose thirsty for, for experiences in life, I had some amazing, amazing uh, times as well. And I had a very, very exciting career in media and film and entertainment and theater um, in London early on. And then I moved into uh, global media and advertising. And I think when you're in that environment, people, um, they just choose you based on they see something in you and they say, that's her superpower and we're going to put her here. 
you don't really have to try. I think you just have to be there um, because that's just the type of environment that it is. It's very talent driven. And very Were you in met- front of the camera, or behind the camera? Well, it, you know, in, at that time it wasn't, Oh, I see. Um, right. Well, okay. <laughs> I was mostly behind the camera. In, in fact, fact okay. uh, you know, my my thing was actually um, design. So okay. I was a trained designer, and I yeah. was a art director and a set designer. And that's so I started off doing that creative work in the early days. But once I moved into the corporate environment um, and started working for advertising agencies and media companies. Um, what happened is I tended to, I was put really in more marketing, business development and uh, account management roles where I was actually managing and developing the client relationship. Mm. Because I think from the beginning, they were like, they saw, oh, you know, she's just that type of person. Mm. She That's what she can do. She's, you know, as I said, she, she got a talent for it. So if you have a talent for something, in those kind of environments, you very quickly find your home because people just, they plop you there and they say, yeah, go for it. See what you can do. So there's, it's, it's just that type of environment. It's, it's hard to, you know, sometimes if you've spent 20 years in a, in a certain kind of industry with a certain kind of outlook and mindset, it's, it's hard to actually, um, communicate how, how fast moving it, it can be. And how how much it is just driven by ability, raw ability, but it is like that. So yeah, so so that's what I ended up doing. So yeah, a, a kind of mixed background of creative and marketing. Mm. You mentioned that that connections your main focus, and you're so protective of those connections, and very particular about who you let into your life. Yeah. How. What is it that you're looking for and how are you guarding against the wrong sort of connections coming in? Yeah, so there are there are two aspects to that, Fiona. So there's uh, there's obviously business and entrepreneurship and then there's personal. So I'm going to take both of those uh, topics if that's okay. Yeah. So in business, um, my ideal client success program is very much about, as you can probably tell from the title, it's about getting the right clients and eliminating those who are the wrong fit. And that is something that is just so important in business because if we end up with the wrong clients, our business becomes unsustainable because there's friction Mm. and they don't appreciate our value. Um, They are not the really the right people for us to be working with because we can't help them in the way that we would like. And because of that, they resent paying us what we're worth. So it's also yeah. hard when you've and I've come from an account, not marketing, but account management and, and corporate yes. ops background. Yes, with the type of clients that you're working for, which is the under hundred k, it's very tricky if those wrong clients are actually your main source of income to then yes. be able to pivot. Yes. Yes. Well, definitely, because, uh, well, as I said, when I say like sub 100K, this is just in terms of the product or service they want to yeah. scale. Yeah. Uh, so they're not actually sub 100K entrepreneurs, if, yeah. you, if you like. They are usually very successful, um, either entrepreneurs or, or corporate uh, high flyers. I'm not saying um, that in terms of a, a slight on them. I'm, I'm saying yeah. it in terms of it's very different if you've got a multi-million dollar income or a larger income and you've got multiple different client streams that are that are paying you compared to yeah. st- more of a startup si- start off situation or a smaller business yeah. that's got a you've got that one big you know apple or cherry or whatever carrot or whatever that's not necessarily the right fit but you're hanging on to them or sort of gone with them because oh, they're going to yeah. give you yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, the consultancy um, world can be very, very challenging. And actually, I was married to a consultant for many years. And, uh, you know, he, when he got the, the clients, they were good clients. They were very, it was very lucrative work. Um, but uh, you are putting yourself at risk if you are dependent, if you are an independent consultant and you're working for two or three big clients 
Mm. alone. Mm. Um, Sometimes it works out really, really well for people. But, you know, if you have a couple of clients, you lose one of them, then you lose half your income. So I think in terms of actually uh, where our clients come from, and in terms of the profile of our clients, and in terms of what they actually buy from us, it's always advisable, of course, to have a range of different offers so that our clients can access us um, at different price points and different levels. I think that's the best way to, you know, to scale and to ensure that we build those all important recurring revenues, which is what, of course, we all want as entrepreneurs. I did stop you when you were talking about, and I do apologize in regards to how you weed out the wrong connections. What is it that you're looking for uh, from business, I'm assuming it's someone that's aligned with the, with the services that you provide mm. um, and are quite similar in terms of growth mindset to yourself. That's my assumption and you're nodding. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking it's yeah, a yeah. yes. But yes. in terms of personal, yeah, how do you navigate those without – because we're so worried about offending people. This is – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I I think that uh, we we are sometimes way too polite in mm. the early stages of of getting to know someone. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know there's a lot of people that feel as though they just have to give their time, and you know have a lot of meetings and Zoom calls and all the rest of it just because people express an interest in talking to them. And a lot of the time, uh, we are actually wasting our time if we just jump into other people's agendas. So one of my favorite sayings is always be clear about your purpose or others will use you for theirs. And what that means is that there are a lot of people who they don't know what they're looking for and they will use you to find out. And those are not... That's a very uh, powerful statement, actually. Yeah, it's powerful, yes. Um, and so I do think it's important to, yeah, really make sure that people are actually serious about what you do before you give them your valuable time. Mm. Now, I mean, a short clarity call is fine, but I see people who are offering like, you know, 60 minute Zoom calls and I, w- I will not do that. You know, I'll do like a 15 minute phone call um, and I don't like those phone calls any more than anybody else does when you're just like, well, how much money have you got? And, you know, are you going to be a client for me? And all, you know, no. I mean, you, as long as you ask the right questions on those short phone calls, you can actually find out who is going to be, uh, you know, potentially suitable for you. And then on that basis, you can make a decision, I think. Um, or, of course, that is... Um, you know, that that has to run in conjunction with authority assets. And these are the things that I help people create in the program, because ideally, what you need to do is to put a buffer between you and those people, so that they actually consume some of your content, and they learn about you before they book that call. So that is the ideal thing. And then you have a bit of a filtering system in terms of, uh, you know, questionnaire or I mean, even a Calendly invite with some filtering questions um, so that you you are getting a very clear idea of who that person is, what their agenda is, what stage of business they're at. And there's no judgment here because people that are the wrong fit for you are definitely going to be the right fit for somebody else. It's just uh, we need to make sure that we don't waste our time uh, unnecessarily because that is the it's the biggest issue that I see with a lot of early stage business owners is that they're just talking to too many of the wrong people. And we, you know, I'm, so I'm on a crusade to stop them doing that. How do you protect yourself personally? Cause I asked you personally, we jump back into the, the professional. Uh, yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah, they're very intertwined, but how, yeah. how, if you're meeting someone socially and you're a very positive person, so I'm, and you, and you come across even through, the internet that you're very, you know, very engaging and um, magnetic person, I would say, in terms of oh, people being you. drawn to you. But how do you then, if you're out there being this positive magnet, how do you deflect 
all the shit that's going to come at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that's uh, yeah, that's a, a, a great point. So, um, you know, as I said, for I'm, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I have those tendencies, like a lot of. That's why I come across as engaging because I want to be liked. Of course, like many of us, um, I want to be popular, and I think you often find people who put themselves in the public eye, who do things like podcasts. We want to be liked. We want to be recognised, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think um, you know, as you said, a lot of people will. Again, it comes back to the same thing. Always be clear about your purpose or others will use you for theirs. So people will size you up. And the first thing that they that the wrong people will do is they will say, how can I use this person without creating value for them in return? And they'll do that personally and they'll do that professionally. So, um, so I think there's a kind of tonality there. I think when people approach you very respectfully, then I think um, that is obviously a sign that, um, you know, they have good intentions, Mm. but that's only a sign. And I think uh, with every relationship, it just takes time and it's, it's what people do. It's not what they say. So I think if you can, if you can be almost, you know, turn down the volume of people's words and actually look at their actions instead Actions speak louder than words. I know it's a truism, but um, it's what people actually do. So, how do they how do they show up in a way that tells you that they are that they are serious about creating some value for you, uh, just as you would create value for them? And you know, if you don't do that, then what happens is you end up with a uh, tons and tons and tons of superficial relationships. Um, you no money in the bank because it's easy to have endless conversations with people, connect with people on social media, like their posts. You know, you can go on for years without them actually helping you advance your business, um, and you know, without you really helping them advance theirs. There's nothing easier than than doing that. Um, so we have to have mechanisms in place, both personally and professionally to make sure that we protect ourselves and are putting our energies and our focus into the right people for the right reasons. I I hope that makes sense. It does. Do you have, I don't know whether or not you want to actually disclose this, but do you have, like if you met somebody at a cocktail party, do you have conversations or questions that you ask them as a bit of a qualifying prelude into whether or not I, I'm going to excuse myself to, you know, use the facilities or whether or not you're <laughs> you're going to stand there for half an hour and have a, have a glass of wine and, and a chat with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, really, you know, when people just start talking about themselves as they often do, then, you know, it's very clear that they are, that they are just focused on themselves so people that are just I, 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 I did this, I did, and they show very low levels of curiosity in you, well, people are very consistent. So if that's the way they are right from the beginning, that it's likely that that is the way that they are going to be going forward. Mm. So you'll see that emotionally sophisticated people, let's just say, people who are you know, considerate and they're actually – yeah, they're looking at the relationship in in terms of you know some genuine potential they will usually give you time to talk for starters but they will also volunteer information about themselves so people who are they just talk ask you questions they're mining you for details of your personal life or details of your business or they just want to get what you have Mm. but they hold back themselves. That's that's also, for me, that's a bit of a red flag. Mm. So really, you know, you're looking for for that dance to take place, uh, which is, which is it's almost like a little spiral, the two of you, or a dance or something like that, whereby they're showing some curiosity in you, they're revealing something about themselves, they're polite, they're sincere, uh, they're intentional and respectful. And, um, so I, I think it's all there right from the very beginning, you know, dating, 
of course, this is very relevant. I've done some dating and I learned a lot from it um, because it's it's great, isn't it? Because, um, you know, you meet all sorts. So it really does put you to the test and it makes you a lot wiser, I think, if you're, you know, if you, if you don't personalize and you think, well, you know, most of these people, they're not for me anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's it really for me. How did you go from a corporate world as an account manager and in a marketing space to setting up this consultancy business? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I suppose I had a big leap into entrepreneurship. So what happened is, you know, I was self-employed really to begin with. So as I said, I was working as an art director and a designer in film, TV, uh, theatre. So that's all contracted work. So you're yeah, right. yeah. Okay. I, you know, I, I would, uh, you, you know, I was just kind of hanging around. I didn't have children at the time. I was just hanging out in London, being being my usual sociable self. Uh, and you know, because of that, um, yeah, I, I, I was just in the right in the right circles at the right time in order to stay more or less fully booked. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was an adventure, but I was self employed definitely. And then, uh, then as I said, I got to the point where I was like, just like getting a bit weary, particularly once I started working more in film and commercials, um, just, you would never get much notice, you know, they would call you a couple of days before and they say, can you, you know, be available for the next three days? And it would, when they said available, it would mean you have to cancel everything, just drop everything and go. And I just realized that this was, at the time, really having an impact on my social life and my personal life. And I just could see the future. And I thought, I don't really want to be living like this for, you know, a long time because it's very grueling. So that was when I decided I wanted to get a job. And I got a small job as a job in sales. And then I quickly jumped into marketing. And and then, as I said, because I had that experience and I also had the background in terms of these creative industries, I then found my way into advertising and, um, you know, bigger businesses, let's just say. Um, So what happened is um, somebody approached me when I was working for an advertising agency called Young and Rubicon. So it was a global advertising agency and I was developing business particularly for their TV division. And they had a design agency and it was um, moving image um, design agency and it had kind of hit the skids, let's just say. Um, it was going a little bit wrong and he asked me if I wanted to come and join them. And to cut a long story short, there were two partners. One of them left to go off to the US. It was all, you know, everything was very unstable and they asked me if I want, the remaining partner asked me if I wanted to become managing director it gave me a really good share package and also um so i had equity and i had a really good profit share a 25 percent profit share which is pretty good really yeah. as an md um so you know i made a lot of money uh, all of a sudden i started really making good money because i i knew how to grow this business because of all my experience i knew where they were going wrong and so it was almost like a tweak in a way, um, it was a tweak that needed implementing. But um, but basically, what we did is we um, said, okay, no more of these like you know silly little design sequences or whatever. We've got to go for the corporate identity. We've got to go international. We've got to go for the major television, commercial television stations in every developing country in the world. And those are our clients. And those are who we're going for. And, you know, it was just simple as kind of executing on that. So what happened is the revenues jumped from one to six million pretty quickly. And then we sold the business to a U.S. communications group. So at that point, um, it was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I did that. You know, I mean, yes, the creative director who was the owner of the business, he was good. And, uh, you know, he had to perform. Otherwise, we wouldn't have won those contracts for sure. But I was the person that actually engineered behind the scenes to get them there. So, um, you know, I was there really for um, a while. And that was at that point, I thought, right, OK, you know, I, I understand. I understand this now. I understand how to do it. Um, and I have done it. And of course, that gives you like a huge boost of confidence. So, I mean, look, there have been 
a few years in between that and where I am now because along the way um, I took a bit of time off to bring up my children. I started a children's education business, which was really successful. I ran that for a few years alongside um, having my children. And, um, and then I got cancer. And so obviously that is a setback for sure. Mm. Um, and it takes a while to really kind of, you know, come through that bounce back. I had it pretty badly as well. So what type um, of cancer was it? Yeah, it was breast cancer. So, so I um, actually had a very poor prognosis. I had they gave me a 50% chance of surviving five years because I had, you know, I mean, I had everything. I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction. I had uh, my lymph nodes removed because I had 11 out of 12 lymph nodes were affected. That was pretty bad. Mm. I mean, it wasn't particularly aggressive, which I think is one of the reasons why I survived and thrived. Um, but it, uh, you know, it certainly makes you reevaluate a lot of things, I think. And, you know, you can't really run a business on full throttle while you're going through that. It's just not really no. advisable. <laughs> I suppose it is possible. I do know people that have done that, but I don't think it's advisable. Mm. Time to heal. How yeah. long ago was that diagnosis? So the diagnosis was actually 10 years ago. So I have been uh, free of breast cancer for 10 years. I'm a proud survivor. Thank yeah. you. And, uh, it, you know, it's pretty awful at the time because my children were very young and I thought, you know, I'm not going to see them grow up. And that's obviously very painful as a mother. And I think particularly because there had been an awful lot of breast cancer in my family. My Both of my grandmothers died young. So did my aunt. Uh, you know, there's definitely, well, I mean, I, ha I don't have the BRCA gene. I obviously got tested for it given the family history. But... Um, I'd seen the impact really of all those female family members just dropping. I mean, my aunt was beautiful and she died at the age of 50, you know, so. Um, so It's hard uh, on the psyche when you get the diagnosis and. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just thought, well, that's going to be me as well. I'm just going to die like they did because that's all I knew. I could just remember those funerals. I never actually knew my, my grandmothers because they died before I was born, both of them. Um, but I remember my aunt's funeral and I remember, you know, obviously I grew up with my parents talking about the impact of their mothers dying. And, of course, what happened is their fathers remarried and then there was no inheritance because the house went to the, you know, the, the, the stepmother and the children of the stepmother. And at that time, I, I think, I don't know, it just was what happened. And, and I think they felt very sad and very alone because they knew that had their mother lived longer, that she would have protected them from all of this. And I think that, uh, you know, mothers are protective, aren't they, of children, of their children. We have a natural instinct. Uh, so to lose a mother is, is, a very, is a very tough thing. Do you celebrate your – I follow a – I've actually had her on the podcast. Um, I follow a lady on Instagram and she was given, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it was eight. She's stage four bowel cancer. So oh. she was given, um, I think it was 18 months or two years. So she celebrates her diagnosis because I think she's like at four years now or five years post and still is dealing with a lot of reoccurring cancers and, and so forth. But she celebrates it. So every diagnosis day she gets a cup, you know, there's a cake and a cupcake. So it's a celebration that she's got so far. Do you do something like that? Is that a well-known a, a thing to do within the survivor community? Yeah, well, I I tend to I tend to celebrate very quietly and very personally. So what I might do is I might just go for a long walk and I might just reflect. I don't. Everybody does it differently. Differently, really. yeah. I think. I think some people will draw the whole family around and or their friends or whatever, and they'll do something kind of publicly. Um, and as I said, I I just really like to use those those days, and they were the you know that day, and I'll never forget the date. It was May the seventeenth. Um, so on May the 17th every year, I just like to really take some time to quietly reflect on, you know, where I've come and just be incredibly grateful, you know, and I think everybody talks about gratitude, but mm. 
I think once you've once you've been through something like that and you really have stared death in the face, and I really have stared death in the face because, mm. uh, you know, I mean, look, if I, I could talk about this endlessly, so I won't, you know, I won't. But um, when you actually have, then you tend to be grateful for the small things. You tend to be grateful just for waking up in the morning and just for a blue sky. And, yeah, it just puts everything else into perspective because no matter what is going on, if the sky is blue, well, isn't that beautiful? Beautiful, clear blue sky today. Um, If, you know, the seasons, you know, going out, walking my dog, it's frosty. Oh, that's really nice. You know, I like this kind of cold, chilly, chilly, frosty feeling. And isn't it great to have the company of my dog? And I think when you just really focus on those very, very simple and very basic things to be grateful, it it kind of something shifts and all your bigger problems just become smaller. Your 10 years post-diagnosis, when did you start the consulting business? Yeah, so... so, um, so as I said, I mean, I have coached people informally, let's just mm. say, for a, for a few years. So I've, I've, I've worked with clients for some years now, so like maybe five years, something like that, because people would just come to me. Um, and I think particularly once I published my book, um, people that like my book, The Smart Connector, because mm. it really is about the power of connection to lift you higher in business and life. So people would come to me because they'd read my book. And they would say, you know, connection is is something that I want to get better at. I want to, you know, I want to uh, get a better connection with myself, a better understanding of myself. I want to be a better communicator in my relationships. And it, it's a very, very holistic thing when people come to me and say they're always um, in business. They're always business people because it's a book for people in business. Um so, uh, so as I said, I, I was doing one-to-one uh, consulting or coaching, really, with these people for some time now, and and I really enjoyed it. But I just decided to kind of step it up, really, about a year ago. Mm. Well, I suppose it was like many people at the start of the pandemic. I thought, you know what, I'm I'm going to go online because, of course, at that particular time, the world shut down. We couldn't have the face-to-face meetings. Everybody was, you know, sat in front of a screen and it's like, well, all of a sudden I've got time on my hands to actually do this stuff. And, you know, with my marketing background, I thought, well, actually, I'm just going to do it because it's not that hard for me to kind of shape an offer. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in the, let's just say, the client getting space Mm. But, um, you know, ideal client success, I suppose, at first sight, it's just like some people say, well, what is it lead generation? No, I mean, lead generation obviously does come into it because we all have to put ourselves in the middle of the party, if you like, where I- yeah. ideal clients gather. So that is important. But I think more and more what it's about is we live in a very, very saturated um, and competitive world when we enter that online space and we have to present our message and communicate in a way that actually really quickly flags up to our ideal clients that we have something for them and that it's something that they can't afford to miss. It has to be irresistible. So that's really what I help people do. And there's a lot of need for it because um, you know, most people, as I said, they're not marketers. If they're experts in what they do, if they're a tech expert, if they're a finance expert, um, or if they're, you know, as I said, you know, my thinking about my clients now, you know, they, they're consultants, they're coaches, they're change managers, uh, change experts, ADHD experts, mindset experts. So they're doing lots and lots of different things, but they don't come from that marketing background and, and heritage and history. So um, once they get some input from me, then it things start to change for them quite quickly. <laughs> they definitely, because all of a sudden they realize where they were going wrong and that really it was just that their message was not cutting through. Um, and if you can't cut through online, then you will become invisible and people will just pass you by. So that is the most important thing. And I, classically, people would say it's uh, strategy and positioning. And messaging. Mm. So mm. that's really what my program is mostly about. 
Your podcast, The Smart Connector, um, did that come after you started up that you, you went, this is a, there's also a market in regards to people that just want to listen? Yeah. So the, the podcast, funnily enough, so I joined a mastermind in order to launch my book. Uh, because I, you know, I didn't really know how to launch a book. And of course, no one, I think with an unpublished author who is not really in the public eye, it's going to be quite hard to get a publisher. So self-publishing was the way to go. So it's like, well, I don't know how to do this. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll go and, you know, join this mastermind. And when I joined the mastermind, uh, there were a lot of people that were doing launching podcasts. And I thought, oh, you know, this is kind of interesting and it's another way of getting the message out. And um, so I just kind of decided to do it. Mm. And um, I didn't really know what I was doing. And when I think about it, it wasn't a particularly strategic decision. I just thought, you know, I'm a creative person. I like listening to podcasts. I listened to a few and I thought, I love this. You know, it's a great medium. And so I thought I'd like to do my own. And I started off the Smart Connector is a, mostly an interview show because I, you know, love networking. I love meeting other people. Mm. And I think the great thing about an interview show is that you learn from them. You know, you get their time and their attention and you get their lessons. And so, you know, in the podcast, I've I've tried to kind of include a whole variety of different topics, but they're all relevant to early stage entrepreneurs. So some of them are how do I get funding? Some of them are how do I access grants? How, how do I, uh, or how do I find investors? Um, what is this world of, you know, venture capital or private equity? What is all of that about? How do I, um, you know, how do I market my business? How do I get good on Instagram? How do I get good on LinkedIn? How do I launch a podcast and launch a book? And all of those questions that I had, um, and also, I like to kind of also get entrepreneurs with with scale up stories because I just love hearing how people went from nothing to build businesses that are worth ten million, hundred million. I have one guy on there who was um, actually the founder of Barefoot Wines, and they went from like literally treading grapes in California, literally treading grapes, um, to selling their business for a hundred million pounds barefoot wines to Ernst and Gallo um and a hundred million dollars so you know those kind of stories are very very inspirational and I mm. think people really love them so yeah uh, authors experts um interviewed the um the guy uh who wrote the the Bezos letters which is um I never really know how to pronounce his name but anyway they were just basically analyzing all the Amazon shareholder letter, letters uh, over the years and drawing out the lessons from there. So, yeah, I mean, anybody that, that wants to, to scale a business, grow, start and scale a business, there's, the podcast is for them. Perfect. How do people, if they want to um, join your, because I can see that you've got, I'm on your website now, so you've got masterminds, you've got, as well as your one-on-one services, it looks like you've got a number that could fit different people, different stages. Is the janebaylor.com website the best resource for people to go to to find your services? Yeah, I mean, it's got uh, it's got everything on there. People can book a call. They can go and have a look around. I have a little property business. So I do this in a very bespoke way, and we were talking about that earlier, where yeah. I connect, uh, you know, high, nets, high net worth uh developers with uh, or investors with um, development opportunities um, so that's all the links are on the website so they can go and they can watch my um, on-demand masterclass uh, you know there's um, I run live masterclasses every month so I set up events on LinkedIn and you know it's it's very very easy to get hold of me and to you know check check me out I, I don't hide because why why would can't I tell us, can't <laughs> tell a secret with, yeah. with um with your services you obviously are around the world it's not just in the UK yeah in terms of the yeah clients. yeah exactly and of course that's the thing about having an online business is that uh you know you really you can serve clients from anywhere so um a lot of my clients at the moment are in the UK 
And I think that's just because, you know, traditionally my communities have come from there. But I do have clients in Canada um, in particular. I've had, uh, you know, I have plenty of guests on my podcast as well in the U.S. And mm. I know that the when I look at the stats for the podcast, it's very, very popular in the U.S., mm. Um, I, I guess the U.S. is a is a big audience, and it's it's in the top three uh, percent globally for in the entrepreneurship category. So, you know that's uh, that's pretty good. So, congratulations! Yeah. That's a hard feat. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm very very proud of that of that statistic. And you should be. Yeah, and the funny thing is that in the beginning, when you do launch a podcast, it, you're just like, why am I doing this? You know, did you just like you're lucky if you get five people listen in and it's like oh you know I put all of this effort into this and nobody's nobody's listening but what happens is you build up a body of work and more and more people find you and then they start going back through your back catalogue and saying Mm. that's an interesting episode oh I think I'll listen to that and then what I noticed is that all of a sudden once I reached 100 episodes the, the stats really jumped and that was an interesting point because I wonder whether maybe, you know, I, I don't really know, maybe iTunes has started pushing it more. Um, I don't really know because I, you know, that there are obviously podcasting experts that will tell you how to reach that critical scale, critical mass, if you like, of, of listeners. And I've never really done any of that. I've just kept on producing the content and churning it out and being very, very consistent about it. And I think that is, you know, something that um, is very important because if we just, you know, release an episode once every few months or sort of release like three or four in a block and then have like another couple of months where we don't release anything, um, we, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot a bit. So I think that consistency and actually getting those episodes out on a regular basis on the same day, whether it's one episode a week, two episodes a week or whatever, um, I really genuinely believe that um, consistency pays off mm. in every respect. It does. Jane, <laughs> yeah. it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. Um, oh. I'll link your website and everything else that people need to know about in the show notes. But um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to be invited onto the podcast, Fiona, and thank you so much. I think you're doing wonderful things with your podcast, with your One Moment Please. It's amazing. Thank you. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 